Lynn H. Jules, and I have an awesome guest with me today, Oyder Jonsdottir, and she is an author. In fact, she's one of the most influential authors of her generation, and she has a new book out called Quake, which I'm super excited about. I've been reading it and totally enthralled with it. It's such a fascinating story of different like twists and turns, as well as like, you know, some secrets that are coming up. So Oyder, uh, though, just to give you a little bit of background is, uh, she has different novels that she's published and has won numerous awards, many to the point where like, if I explained all of them, we'd be here for maybe like 20 minutes. So she's highly accomplished. <laughs> and also a journalist, I found that out recently, um, that writes for, writes the news in Iceland. She won the Icelandic Literary Prize for The People in the Basement and the Icelandic Women's Literature Prize for Secretaries to the Spirits. Both of those novels were no nominated for the Nordic Council's Literature Prize. Oyder's latest novel, as I mentioned, Quake, which congratulations on that, Oyder, that just uh, was released earlier this month. Is that right? Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, became her most successful publication to date. This is amazing. And gathered a huge following among Icelandic readers of all ages, strengthening her position as an important writer of her generation. So welcome, Oyder, to oh, All Things Iceland. Thank you. It's my honor. Yeah, likewise. And I, I mean, in Iceland and the literary culture here, there is such a strong love of books and appreciation of that. And I mean, it's even been stated, even though it was some years ago, the statistic that one in every 10 Icelanders will <laughs> publish a book or something like that. So there are a lot of people who write. And so- yeah. I um, actually wrote an article about that when I was young. Okay. I, I think it was, you know, every, for Iceland or something like that. Yeah, it's, I've seen different figures. I don't know what's changing. In some form, not, you know, a novel or just some kind of a book. Yes. Yeah, it could be a children's book. Who knows? Like yeah. all different types. Yes. And I think another fascinating aspect, I mean, you're very much connected to literary history and legacy in Iceland because your grandfather is Haldor Laxness, which is amazing. And just for people who don't know, Haldor Laxness is the only Icelander that's won a Nobel Prize and what it, won it for literature. And of course was a very influential voice in of his generation. And throughout time, it has stood the test of time in terms of his writings and people getting insight into Icelandic culture. So I'm wondering, just to kind of kick it off, having a grandfather like this and having family, you know, um, that are basically, uh, literature nobility, if you will. <laughs> um, what did that influence you in terms of becoming a writer in life? In a way, I, I grew up uh, at the same place. Uh, my grandparents lived in this big house, Glewood Estate, and then there was this little river, and we lived on the other side. So I spent a lot of time with my grandparents as a child. But um, I then, back then, I thought it was really boring to be a writer because he was just standing there. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 I thought it was just a very boring job. But uh, he was fun, my grandfather, and he was he was not like the other grown-ups. He was more like a child. Of course, he was an old man then, but uh, I could play with him and my dog and he had always you know more of an Astrid Lindgren <laughs> you know view of things than the grown-ups you you 
he said a lot of strange things or, or he asked odd questions and, and but I, I could sense as a child that everybody around me wanted to please my grandfather so maybe mm-hmm. you know had something to do with it that I wanted to become a writer no? <laughs> because I saw that you know he got so much space in life but in a way uh, he also grew up grew up in the in this um, same Mosel Stalur, this Wally. Mm-hmm. So, and he was very young when he started writing, just a, you know, little boy. And that is uh, really strange in a way because Iceland was so isolated back then. And he, he was just this little boy in the countryside in Iceland. And it's really interesting, you know, just that his parents gave him you know, this space to to sit all day long and write some stories. Right, exactly. So, uh, but uh, he, he asked, asked me when I was small if I wanted to become a writer. And I said, no, I want to, you know, be an actress. And, and he said, why? And I said, because they are so beautiful. Mm. And he said, if you are too beautiful, you don't have to be fun. So it's not good to be too beautiful. <laughs> It gives you a little bit of character, right? If you, you develop a personality. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I think that also, like you just pointed out, the fact that your grandfather had a very different life than other adults, you know, in terms of and being a creative and having this childlike curiosity and uh, having fun, but also the leisure time to sit and write books and novels. Like that is just not something most people... Our, like our society, you don't know how it was back then for him, but like our society is always like working, working, working. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's just. Let's say back then in Iceland, in the countries that people were constantly working and children as well. And uh, there's a known story when a, uh, some man was uh, visiting his home and looking for the, you know, older people. And he asked where his father was and he, he said he's working. And then he, the man asked about his mother and he said, she's working and that continued and uh, the man said why are you not working and he said I am writing and he was maybe eight or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's like I am working just yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I lived so we recently moved to South Carolina but I used to live in Mosfestified which is so I've been to the your grandfather's house but yes. it's at the museum, of course, because now it is a place where people can visit and see, you know, where he used to live and do his writings and things like that. So for people who are interested, definitely look that up because it is fascinating. And I think like his, his car or something is still preserved there. Jaguar. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. Jaguar. Yes. yes. Nice car. <laughs> like, so that's really hmm? yeah. With red seats and, you know, it's white and... Yeah, and there's like a pool in the back, like a hot tub or something, right? Yeah, and I walked by that because we went around to yeah. go see. My grandfather traveled a lot. He was constantly traveling. Right. And uh, once he just sent my grandmother a telegram and said, could you please build a swimming pool before I come home? That's nice. <laughs> like, well, okay. Yeah. Why not? So, yeah. Okay. But, you know, good to get a little bit of background about your grandfather, but this is about you because you're... Yeah highly accomplished as well and i'm curious though just in terms of like you know off of this topic of the fact that he won the nobel prize for literature is that 
a goal of yours or is it just like mm. if it happens that's nice you know no 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 not at all no i i have always loved just to write and i have been writing as well since i was very young yeah. when i was younger it was just like barbie for me you know i was playing this when this person says this and the other person says this so it was a bit like you know playing with dolls yeah and when i became a teenager and had the, had a broken heart for the first time or, or when my dog died then i i wrote you know to soothe the pain or something or, or, or soothe this restless feeling somehow and so it was really natural somehow just to write and I also teach creative writing here in Iceland because I really want to give this tool to people just yeah. to, because it's so good in life just to use the pen to understand life and to you know seek for answers and to you know find the story in your life and to give your life some kind of meaning Absolutely. so it's more like a lifestyle than a goal to yeah. write. That's awesome. And I think when it is integrated this way, it doesn't, like you mentioned, basically doesn't feel like a job. You get a chance to just express yourself in the way that, and I, I think that authenticity is what sounds like to me is resonating with people is that you're really just. Yeah. It, it's also a tool to, you know, understand people and understand stand human behavior. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Where do you get the idea for topics for your books? It's quite different, but uh, I, uh, my head is always, uh, you know, full of ideas. But it's, you, I get, it's, when I get this gut feeling, then I, mm. I just know, okay, I'm, this is what I'm going to write. And it's just like that, you know, every other year I have this gut feeling and then I, <laughs> I write a start to write a story and it is, you know, Writing is also, it has a lot to do with just believing that the mm. first sentence will, you know, turn out to be a whole story. And that, that's the reason I say gut feeling. When you have that feeling, you you know, you will, you're, it's like, a, you know, you're traveling, you, you, you know where you're going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering, because this happens a lot where people ask about, if like Icelandic nature is something that is an inspiration to you when you're writing, or if it's, because you mentioned about people and people's behavior. So, yeah. you know, from reading parts of Quake, obviously there's a lot going on there dynamics wise, but also it takes place in Iceland, right? And they're talking about like different places that I'm aware of. And so it's kind of interesting to have that landscape in Reykjavik, but I'm wondering if it's the environment here that also has some type of a influence on you. I think maybe I lived in Berlin in Germany when I wrote Quake and I missed the Icelandic nature. Mm. So it's also maybe that's the reason I, you can sense a lot of, of it in, in the book is, is my, you know, my thirst for it because I, I really like Berlin, but, but it's not the same environment as in Iceland. Mm. So I, yeah, I'm I'm really, you know, comparing nature to our feelings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nature in, in being human. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe maybe I, I would have written this book differently in Reykjavik than in Berlin. Mm. <laughs> so when you're far away it becomes so strong somehow. Yeah, a longing almost. Yeah, this like Dirk said, emotional landscape. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think that's a really interesting way of putting it too, of like needing to get away <laughs> from that idea in order to appreciate it, to include it in your book and the, the way that you remember it rather than like what could be possibly negative while you're here that overtakes your view of it. Overtakes. And I also listen a lot to music while I write. Mm, okay. It was interesting, interesting with this book that uh, because I was playing with this, with this, um, this um, uh, what do you say, way of finding nature in our feelings or or or, or, or how like a, like yes, this phrase emotional landscape is good, but uh, a composer in Iceland is working a lot with that in his music. Mm. So he made a um, piece of music uh, called Quake. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it was like I'm listening to music, then I'm writing, and then you know, musicians writes, and then he makes a new piece of music, yeah. and that that piece traveled around the world, and it's called Quake. People can find it online. Yeah. And right. it, I think it, you know, had some really you know fancy price in the <laughs> world. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there's so many different inspiration yeah. in a way of like better yeah okay and you're considered one of the most important writers of your generation and i'm just wondering from your point of view what is it that you think resonates so well and it's obviously people of all ages also resonate to you, with you but specifically for your generation is there something that you think within your writing you feel that resonates strongly with them when i started i i wrote you know books that are maybe different from quake I, I, I was writing a lot of just being a child of a hippie or a child of an alcoholic or something like this. And this was maybe a topic my generation was interested in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. And a, a lot of people my age, they were, you know, wondering about the same things. And so uh, I wrote this book called The People in the Basement and that it won the Icelandic prize and became like a, uh, yeah, something special for for my generation or something like a voice for my generation maybe, and so that's that's one thing. I've also because I I've lived a lot in uh, other countries, so I have also uh, written uh, about being an immigrant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, but I've always also been really interested just in national affairs and, and what is and what is going on in the society, you know, every day. And so because I worked a lot as a journalist and that tends to find way into my novels. Mm -hmm. at, at the same time, I really like to, you know, write for newspapers in a more literary way or, or what you say literary in, in more uh, like now I'm, my German is yeah <laughs> literary way I guess. literary yeah. yeah yeah that makes sense and I think that actually makes the news more interesting because a lot of times it can be very dry <laughs> I mean speaking of that in terms of current events there's a lot happening I mean you mentioned about being in somewhere like who lives somewhere else, basically like a, a foreigner mm -hmm. in another country. And as you're consuming the news and, and writing about it, I mean, do you how do you see Iceland in terms of 
it changing like from when you were growing up and I think this has really changed a lot because uh, when I I was young in Iceland it was maybe more like East Germany than mm. than, than mm. a Western country it was very isolated we had no TV the whole month of July yeah uh, we had one evening every week when we had no TV you could not buy beer we had no cafes we had just no yeah. one cafe or something like in Reykjavik and and it was uh, you know f- there were not there were not so many foreigners here mm-hmm. so um, it has changed rapidly and and really much Iceland now we have this you know little cosmopolitan village Reykjavik yeah <laughs> and we have a lot of people from all over the world and you know it's it it's it's another society than mm. than it was back then. Yeah, is and that much fun? Huh? And much more fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Way more things. There's more cafes for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I think like diversity and meaning, of course, how people look, but their cultures, the way they think, like that brings a different spin to Iceland and to mostly the metro area. But still, I mean, it's it's really fascinating to hear about how much it's changed, and you know, it is. What what is also plays a big role is that Icelanders travel a lot because it's so yeah. isolated, Iceland, and we are only three hundred thousand. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so so young people, you know, travel a lot, or they move to other countries for a while, or they study abroad. So. So um, I think that also influences the society a lot that people are constantly traveling and then they you know, come back to this little society. Mm-hmm. You get exposed to different ideas and, yeah. and bring back things to hopefully. Yes, and uh, another kind of thought and uh, yeah. another kind of perspective. And so that influences a lot. And also just young children in Iceland, they speak much better English than I do. My son is 10 years old and he he's almost fluent when he speaks English because they watch so much, you know, TV and they play computer, game, computer games in English and they're constantly talking English just downtown. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, we have the younger generations are, are quite you know, cosmopolitan or, or they are really... Yeah. In a way, I mean, it's like a strange way of saying it, but because, you know, I mean, you're, you speak English very well. And, and I understand what you mean, though, in terms of like maybe things in terms of recall that come to your yeah. son easier and faster. And, and maybe he can even sound like he's not from Iceland when he, when he yeah. speaks English. Because that's always interesting to me when I hear some kids and it's just like, wait, are you Icelandic? And they start talking Icelandic and it's like their Icelandic accent is there. Yeah. when they're speaking like they pronounce everything well but once they're talking english it's like i could be watching a character on a tv show in the united states <laughs> so it's yeah but, yeah but the english is, is so natural for them and like the other day my son said i used an icelandic phrase called anna slide it's mm-hmm. it's quite common or, or it used to be and my son said what does that mean and i said once in a while, I said in English, and then he was just, yes, okay, I know that. not in Iceland. Yeah. Do you find that of any concern that there is this so much more mixture of English? 
yeah, we are concerned about uh, the Icelandic language because it's uh, it's quite sensitive and and uh, uh, the English is is quite the influences from the English are, are are quite strong and and we have them you know if you're downtown in Reykjavik a lot of people just talk English at the cafes or in the stores or or, or also because we have so much tourism a lot of people traveling here yeah. <laughs> and, and then we have the machines talking English as well you know so right. uh, but what is good here and also for a writer is that the Icelanders are, are constantly you know creating new words mm -hmm. they're very good in you know translating constantly yeah. new phrases and, and new words and so that is also really interesting to work with the language that way yeah. absolutely yeah. and just in terms of you mentioned is that me or no i guess it's me i'm trying okay. to <laughs> i was like where is that coming from maybe i should check if it's if i can turn something off or maybe you can just have it like some music in the background <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, I forgot what I was going to ask you just now. It was like, but I have other questions. I just, <laughs> in my brain. Okay. But you also worked as the an in-house writer for theater. Theater, yes. City theater. Hmm? The city theater. Yes. So you also worked as a in-house writer for the Greek city theater, which resulted in a play of yeah. your book adaptation of your book, The People in the Basement. And I was just wondering about the process because, you know, there's writing a book and then there's writing a play, which is, a, in my mind, is a very different expression uh, and also like how you want it to land for the people who are sitting live watching this play out. You know, it wouldn't be the same as I would think as like just sitting there and reading word for word. You know? <laughs> so I'm just wondering what that process was like. The process, the theater um, has taught me a lot. Ólafur uh, Egil uh, wrote the, um, the play. Ólafur Egil Egilsson, he's a known uh, actor, director and uh, writer here in Iceland. And we worked a lot together. And uh, and I also translate plays. I've translated mm -hmm. plays for the National Theatre as well. And it's so good for a writer of, you know, thick novels <laughs> to work in the theatre. Because in, in a play, every sentence is so important. Mm. Every sentence has to have, you know, some meaning. But at mm. the same time, it has to be very light and really, you know, natural. Yeah. <laughs> you maybe just have 11 sentences in a page. But so each one has to be, you know, thoroughly thought. Mm -hmm. And it has maybe uh, a lot to do with the theater today, just with contemporary art. because. Uh, uh, some of my friends who are, you know, working in the art scene and are quite good writers when it uh, when they start to work in theater because this is so visual. <laughs> so you gain um, a new way of thinking when you're writing when you're working in theater. 
and I, I think it has helped me a lot as a writer to get that perspective. Also, when you you know are translating or writing for theater, you, you work with actors and you can hear them repeat every sentence mm -hmm. and you can hear the music in the in the conversation. So you can rewrite when when you're you know with the actors. Mm -hmm. And so you, yeah, you can hear your own text in a new way, and you're, you're, you can listen to what is working and what is not working, and you, right. of course you can't do that when you're just alone at home writing, saying it to yourself right over and over again. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, that's really cool, and and it was a great success as well. So it was, yeah, yeah. the prize, the theater prize, Grimman as the best day of the year or something. Which, yeah. Congratulations! I mean, I know it was two thousand and nine, or was it back then? Or I think so, two thousand nine or two thousand ten. I'm not sure yeah. anymore. But regardless, it's a great accomplishment. So I'm glad that, that worked out in terms of an adaptation, because you know, it's just like I mentioned. I mean, live theater is fascinating all on its own because there's so many variables that can happen, right? It's just like you have this fascinating, and you can yeah. there's so much you can do there, but. Uh, but Quake also became a film, this book, Quake. Okay. That will be premiered now in March, and it has been shown abroad and, uh, and going very well. And it, yeah, it, it, it. So, yeah, I'm going to New York to introduce my book. Yeah. And the director of the film will uh, join me. So, so. Hey, that's yeah, awesome. That's awesome. And it's always interesting to talk about a film or a play. Uh, created uh, from a book because you have a new piece of art and mm -hmm. the, the book is more like the grandmother of the yeah. author. Do you know, it's just yeah. yeah. Okay, and so this was, I mean, the book has recently been released in English, at least, right, yeah. in February. And yeah. was this one of your first books in English or have you done other ones ever since? I, I had published books, I think, in eight other languages. Okay. Even in Arabic. Really? <laughs> wow, okay, nice. But, <laughs> but not in English, and this is my first uh, publication in English, yes. So I'm really, really excited to, you yeah. know, Likewise. go into that field. Yeah, it opens up a whole new world, as well as, so yeah. the movie, though, is the movie in Icelandic, or is it? in another language it's in icelandic but then it has you know subtitles yeah and sometimes maybe for example when movies are sold to germany they are that mm. german actors you know repeating everything or, or yeah, not repeating, but they just verbally <laughs> act <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if a dubbed one is done well, it can be fine. But sometimes yeah. it's just like you should have done subtitles. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so. you dynasty and Dallas in German. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I mean, I don't know if I ever mentioned it, but I'm from New York, so I think it's really cool that you're going to New York to premiere this film, and I'm I'm sure it will do well. And so, that's really so. another aspect of your way, kind of expanding and hopefully you know we can find out and if you do when it becomes when it becomes released to everyone where people can check it out so yeah. for those yeah who are watching now i have a link to quake in the description box so definitely go and check out that book and purchase it you know we get a better understanding of why Oilud is so influential here in iceland in terms of a writer 
So next question, <laughs> because obviously your grandfather, I'm sure had influence in you, but I'm wondering about other authors, yeah. whether Icelandic or from other places that inspired you as a writer or, or continue to inspire you. When I was young, I, I, I read just everything I, I could consume. <laughs> I just from the bookshelf uh, at my childhood home. And uh, I I was really fond of Bulgakov, the Russian writer mm. who wrote Master and Margarita, the Master and Margarita. Okay. Um, uh, Gabriel Garcia and Isabella Yente, these, you know, South American writers. Mm. Really. Colorful voice and uh, what do you call it? This uh, magical realisms, realism. <laughs> and uh, so I was really into, you know, this uh, heavy novels as a, when I was young. Uh, but then I just, I have always, I have never had that. Like I know this is my favorite writer, but I have just had periods when I'm, you know, reading this kind of literature. <laughs> this kind of you know so I a bit go between uh, when I was in Denmark then I enjoyed a lot enjoyed, enjoyed a lot of reading um, Danish writers hmm. be really you know interesting uh, uh, yeah uh, and yeah I'm just I, I, I'm just like my, when I uh, eat I eat just all kinds of food and yeah. it's a bit like that when I read. I just read everything yeah. I can yeah. find. So, but I, I just remember, yeah, when I, I've always been a sucker for, you know, big novels like just good grass. Yeah, but but also I have my favorite New York writers like Paul Oster. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, and also Sadie Smith, had great influences. Uh, she's uh, living in England, but she's mm -hmm. as well in, in New York. And I always forget the name of the Nigerian writer. Um, uh, she has been published in America, who wrote Americana. Yeah, Chimamanda. Yeah, yeah, I was really fond of Americana and yeah, that's a good book. <laughs> to write like her and Sadie Smith in mm, for some period of time, but like I said, these are periods rather than books. Or yeah, yeah it's it's what you're interested in for a certain, you know, time in yeah. some period of your life. And perspectives. I mean, I think what is so fascinating to me about writers and what, you know, yeah. this for me in your book too, is that you get so engrossed in the story that it yeah. actually changes your emotions as you're going through it. And it's intense because you're on a roller coaster ride, right? So like, I mean, similarly to with Americana, when I read that, I found myself at times needing to step back and be like, this is not my life, right? So like it's, this is, you know, I actually, I, I'm relating to it in that, like I'm hearing someone else's perspective and mm -hmm. also with Saga, who's the lead person in Quake or, you know, this person is really centered on. And it's like, you get really, you know, attached to That's the storyline. And as you're going I, through- I, actually, like, I think I, I read Americana when I was in Berlin. I don't know, maybe mm -hmm. I wrote, read it while I was uh, writing Quake and 
there was another book that influenced me a lot, The Vegetarian. Korea and got the man Booker Prize uh, about a woman who stops eating meat and then she divorces and you know, it changes her whole life to stop eating meat. Yeah. And that book had influenced me a lot while I was uh, writing quick. Mm, okay. But it's like that. It, it's always a coincidence, you know, you're writing and then you just grab a book and, you know, you get some kind of new ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not having spices while you're cooking. Yes, variety is a spice of life, right? I mean, that's what people say. <laughs> I recommend the vegetarian. That that is really a strong. It's it's a short book. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like uh, three short stories in in a novel. Okay. And yeah, I might check it out. I mean, I'm plant based, and I have been for quite a long time. Uh, and I think it does it does change your perspective on a lot of things. And yeah. there's you know, I mean, everybody is different, of course. So. People can, if they decide to read it, they can figure that out for themselves. <laughs> yeah, there are some books that are, have had stronger influences than others, and always the book, also the book, Never Let Me Go. Hmm. Um, that's a book, yeah, and The Handmaid's Tale. When I read yeah. it, really, you know, it was like 2003 or something, and it really changed yeah. my way of thinking. And, Agreed. Well, I could continue and continue. Yeah, Definitely. that's great though. I think it's it's amazing yeah. to hear from writers what else besides, you know, obviously your environment, but like when it comes to other perspectives that are different than what you're writing about, but how they still influence you too and give you yeah. a way of growing and evolving as a person and as a writer. You're always a new, a bit, you know, different from what you were before you read the book. When you read a new book, Mm-hmm. You know, something, you know, you get a new color in your brain, even if you're reading a bad book. <laughs> <laughs> but writing a book is challenging. And I actually am curious about that. What is the most challenging part for you when it comes to writing a book? Uh, I'm really used to writing books now. So I know the procedure very well. And so the main part is just trusting the procedure. Just, and that is what I tell people when I'm teaching creative writing. Just to, you know, you have to, you know, trust the trust this chaotic flow you're stepping into, mm-hmm. and uh, you. It's necessary not to criticize yourself too much, you have, okay. because then you're, you know, stopping the creative thinking. Right. So you have to let everything flow, and then just know that you can, you know redesign it afterwards <laughs> and you you can't be you know very critic but uh, wait with it until you you know rewrite mm-hmm. so yeah. that's that's just i think the challenge is to you know trust the procedure and, and yeah. you know don't become afraid even if you know everything is you know completely chaotic <laughs> so yeah. in the procedure yeah Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I can't remember the uh, the author's name at the moment who said this, but basically, she, I think it's a woman who said, "I'm not a great writer. I'm a great editor." And yeah. so it's just like that is, you know, like you mentioned, it's just like let it all out. Yeah. Figure out, you know, the chaos or whatever later after you basically. I was very happy to hear 
uh, that life itself, just if you talk to a scientist in that field, mm-hmm. is chaos. You know, mm-hmm. everything is chaos. So uh, we are, you know, actually using a lot of energy just to, you know, try to put the chaos into some kind of boxes yes. when we are wasting our, our uh, original energy. And now I'm talking just talking like a scientist this is not you know some some new age <laughs> thinking it it life is just chaos yeah everything is basically going towards chaos like yeah. entropy, and we're working to like kind of bring it back so it's not outrageous but like you mentioned like embracing the chaos actually embracing the chaos and it, it, this is uh, very good if people to, to know if people are starting writing that uh, Things have to be, you know, uh, unperfect or not perfect, mm. because uh, it per- when you have something that is perfect, it's just still. Yeah. <laughs> There's no movement. There is no new, you know, new creation right. comes out of the flaws. <laughs> so this is really good to remember when you're writing. <laughs> That's great advice for people who are wanting to be writers or currently writers and needing that type of advice from someone who's really accomplished. Yeah. I think too, the idea of, like you mentioned, you know, getting out all of what you want to say or, or what comes to you creatively. I've heard of things like morning pages where people wake up early in the morning and they just like, write, 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 write. Is there anything that you do that's like a ritual for you to help you to get out what it is that you're wanting to express? No, I'm quite chaotic, but I'm going to <laughs> you stay with the chaos. <laughs> There's a you know, famous story about me just using uh, the Ikea chair, you know, the Ikea, you know, has a special chair for little children yeah. who can travel around with them. Yeah. I had no son very little and I was traveling, you know, in, in Germany and Denmark and I, was, I used that as a desk for my computer. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, my friend once found me sitting on, you know, all the laundry writing. So I, I, you know, it's, I'm quite chaotic. But it when you have an idea for a new book, it always starts quite chaotic, and you're just writing piece and piece. But when suddenly, you know, the work, you know, starts to become like a creature, and then it's just mm-hmm. you suck into it because it's just grabbing you somehow, and then. You know, in the end, you may be writing, you know, 10 hours every day. But in the beginning, you're just, you know, maybe a bit here, a bit there, and then you do something else. Clean your apartment. or (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I think it is, that's also something we don't express all the time, is that we need breaks from what we're doing in order to let things kind of like settle a little bit or get a different idea or perspective around it. It's like, if you always stick yourself in a situation for hours and hours and hours, when you're not flowing, you could yeah. be keeping yourself from getting inspiration while you're away from it. But I think this is just to be lazy. It's necessary for creation or, or to create something. Right. Because there you get the, you know, space for your mm-hmm. idea. And my, my friend, a very good artist, said this. He said, I'm always so lazy just hanging around. But if I if I wouldn't do that, I would never have these ideas. Yeah. Because it's my, you know, in my space. <laughs> or, or, yeah. But, 
I like I like to call it relaxing. <laughs> you call it lazy, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, but she said it not because we always talk about it that way. But it, yeah. I think I I wrote an article. I think it was in the New York Times about the necessity of being, you know, to relax and don't and not feel guilty about it. Right. You yes. have to you not know, do it like your job to relax. You have to be, you know, <laughs> find find the time to relax just as to do everything you have to do. Yeah, I a thousand percent agree with you. I'm I'm a as a creative, meaning like I come up with ideas for content and stuff, I've noticed that the time where I am getting really creative is usually when I'm relaxing to go to bed. And all of a sudden I have like a bajillion ideas. I was like, yeah, can I replicate this during the day? <laughs> no no problem to get the, you know, all the ideas while you're just, you know, almost sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's the brain just can't stop. You want to relax and, you know, go to sleep, but the brain just continues. Yes. And that yes. is, you can always trust your brain in a, you know, creative procedure because mm-hmm. the brain continues working even if you don't. Right. So you maybe stop writing, but then and wash up the dishes or something, and or or you go to the gym or something, and then suddenly you get the important ideas. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. I have a on my phone a notes app where yeah. I write down the things that come to me because I always have my phone on me, and it's just like, oh my gosh, that's a great. You know, it's just like when you mentioned about the gut feeling. There have been some things I've gotten. I was like, this is amazing like, I just know I feel it in my gut this was meant to be you know and yeah. that is refreshing but it's also because we live in a society where we're conditioned like you mentioned to like work 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 where not everyone gets a chance to express their creativity or get these ideas because their minds are so occupied on a task rather than just Kind of like they just you know appear when you you know rest the logical think way of thinking it's the, you have to put that behind and then they you know can appear yeah it might come a little bit more naturally for some than others for sure but um my last I, question okay oh, yeah no no you you're you're the whole <laughs> so my last question for you is one that i ask everyone yep which is what is your favorite icelandic word or phrase or a phrase yeah or a word it's the icelandic word for um the woman who helps other women to um, give people give a children birth and uh, of course men can also do this but yeah. most women have done this and for example the danish word is jordsmo mm-hmm. the earth mother mm-hmm. of but the Icelander, Icelandic word is uh, light, mother of light, or, or light mother in Icelandic. You have ljós mother. Ljós is light, and then you have mother, mother in Icelandic. So uh, if you if you understand the word, uh, or, or if you look at the word, the light is the child. Mm-hmm. Mother is mother. So... This is my favorite word. The Icelanders once chose it as the most beautiful word in Icelandic and in the, in the national TV. And uh, I, I've, I've thought a lot about this word since since then because it's so perfect. 
Yeah. It is beautiful. And also I was gonna like type it out for people to see what it looks like. Cause I, I think often get it and people are like, what does that mean? <laughs> or what does that look like? So quick. So yeah. and we have this, you know, F, this this Lios Modir, and this is very Icelandic, this mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes. This what looks like a D, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's in my name as well, Oyder. Mm -hmm. Yes. So thank you so much, Oyder. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and it was fun, I think. It was really great. <laughs> I'm here in the snow in Iceland. And really <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a lot of, yeah, I mean, so you're, you're in, what part are you in Reykjavik? I'm downtown. I live downtown. downtown. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just, a little bit outside of that. Yeah, it's in Njálskata. It's, it's yeah. close to Kirkja, the big mm -hmm. church in Reykjavik. So there's a good chance that some people might run into you if they watch this or listen to this. <laughs> like, you that famous author from my <laughs> And it's like, yep, just walk into the grocery store. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's amazing chatting with you and learning so much from mm -hmm. you in terms of as an author and your process. And of course, the advice that you gave to people who are writers or maybe want to be writers. Maybe you inspire them to become writers now that they've wow. heard about you. And for those who would like to check out Quake, like I mentioned, it is in the description or in the show notes, depending on if you're listening to this in the podcast or watching it on YouTube. And I hope that you check it out because it is an intriguing book for sure. And I'm like at night when I'm not getting tons of ideas coming to me, I'm sitting there reading it. <laughs> so it's also like in my dreams probably as well. <laughs> So once again, thank you so much. And thank you. everybody who's watching this. Is